And then we kept running and we were in the dust cloud, all the debris of particles and, and fine dust of par- Tower 2. Hi, dog lovers. Welcome back to Rescue by a Dog, the podcast about dogs that have actually saved their owners' lives. I am Laura, host of the podcast, and I need to ask your help. Sponsors are hard to come by these days, and making a podcast is not free. If you're able to support the podcast with just $5 a month, please go to patreon.com backslash rescued by a dog podcast. You'll become a founding member of the Rescued by a Dog community, and you'll receive exclusive access to extra content. Your contribution will allow me to continue sharing these uplifting, beautiful stories. Again, that's Patreon, spelled P as in Patrick, A-T-R-E-O-N, so patreon.com backslash rescued by dog podcast. You can cancel your membership at any time, so theoretically you could just give $5 for one month and then cancel, and that would still be helpful. Now we are going to hear an incredible story from Michael, whose service dog for the blind, Roselle, guided him out of the World Trade Center on 9-11. Hi, Michael. Hello. It's so nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Sure. Let's get started. Why don't you tell me what is the name of the dog that we're going to talk about today and what did they look like? So Roselle, R-O-S-E-L-L-E, was a yellow Labrador retriever. She is from Guide Dogs for the Blind in San Rafael, California. Was born in um, May of 1998. And I um, got to know her in November of 1999 when I went to Guide Dogs for the Blind to be paired with my fifth guide dog, who happened to be Roselle. Um, the way the process works is that that the school will try to match a dog with a person, and they look for a number of different factors and examine factors like how fast you walk, um, what kind of personality you have, um, what are you looking for in a dog, how are you going to use the dog, any number of things. But one of the things that I said about the the time when I went up to get Roselle was I want a dog with an on and off switch who knows how to use it. And that is, I want a dog who knows that when the harness is on, it's time to work. And when the harness comes off, the dog can play and, and relax. But when the harness is on, the dog needs to focus. And Roselle was absolutely perfect in that regard. Roselle was a perfect fit. But still, establishing the relationship is is something that we needed to work at, and um, and we did, and it worked out very well. What was she task trained to do for you? So let me explain what a guide dog does and what a guide dog doesn't do. People always say how, in my case, the guide dog led me out of the World Trade Center because that's where we worked on September 11, 2001. Wrong thing to say. Guide dogs do not lead. The guide dog doesn't know, and I don't want my guide dog to know where I want to go, nor do I want the dog to know how to get there. That's not the job of the dog. The dog's job is to make sure we walk safely. So when I tell a guide dog forward, the dog will go forward until it can't or until I tell it to turn. And the dog trusts me and should trust me to know where I want to go and to give the dog good, solid directions. For example, 
when we went to work in the World Trade Center, I knew already that there had been a, a small bombing there in 1993. And there was always the possibility of an emergency. So it was going to be my responsibility for a variety of reasons to learn all I could about what to do in the case of an emergency. Um, and the, probably the biggest reason was I was the person who led an office. I was the leader. I opened the office. I hired staff. I needed to know what to do in the case of an emergency. I couldn't rely on other people. One, because they might not be there. And two, because I knew that sighted people relied on reading signs and so on. And that works until you can't read a sign anymore. So I had to learn what to do. I had to learn what the emergency evacuation procedures were. I needed to learn as much as I could about how to travel around the World Trade Center, which I did. And so the dog's job is to make sure that we walk safely. So when we're walking, if suddenly the dog stops, then I need to figure out why the dog stopped. Probably because we're at stairs or a curb or something is in front of us. And I have ways to, to learn that, sticking out a foot or reaching out and touching something. If I hear that there's something in front of me, whatever the case happens to be, then I can deal with that. Or if we're walking down a sidewalk and we come to a street, I can hear traffic in front of me going across in front of me. And so I know that I can't cross the street yet and the dog is going to go up to the curb and stop. And then I have to give the dog a command at the appropriate time to go forward and cross the street or go left or right if I want to cross the other street. But I want the dog to do their job by making sure, as I said, that we walk safe. As I kind of describe it to people, um, she's the pilot, I'm the navigator. I need to give the directions that the pilot uses then to get us where we need to go safely. It sounds like a constant con conversation. It is. It's absolutely a constant conversation, um, a very close-knit bond and relationship. And we each need to respect the other creature's job. With Roselle, the bond formed right away and it just kept growing and growing. That's great. Tell me, what was going on in your life at the point when you got Roselle? Well, um, we were living in New Jersey. I was just starting to work for a company that had recruited me away to open an office for them in New York City. We started traveling into the city basically every day. Um, and so, Roselle had to really put up with a lot of traffic, a lot of people and so on every single day, the hustle and bustle of traveling into the city. Um, and I had been hired to open an office permanently for Quantum Corporation, the company that, that I was working for. And we decided to open it and got great office space at a great lease rate on the 78th floor of Tower One of the World Trade Center. So we opened that office officially got everything moved in and opened on August 1st of 2000. And so we um, were working there on September 11th. Um, we were going to be holding some sales seminars that day to teach people how to sell our products. So I was in the office along with a colleague, David Frank and Roselle, who had appointed herself the official office greeter. So she slept under my desk. But if anybody came into the office, um, my office door was open. She would see or hear people and she would immediately go out and greet everybody and then come back in and lay back down under my desk mm. and, uh, and go back to sleep until the next person arrived, her next victim. And so on September 11th, when the planes hit the building, they struck 18 floors above us on the other side of the building. So literally the building tipped. Um, I'm holding up my arm and I'm now just tipping it towards the camera and the screen. And that's what the building did. We moved a distance. We actually moved about 20 feet. 
we tipped about 20 feet and then came back. Tall buildings like that are very big springs is what they are. And so the plane hit the building. What nobody ever expected was that somebody would deliberately crash an airplane into a building, especially an airplane full of 26,000 pounds of jet fuel. The buildings didn't collapse because the airplane hit the building alone. They collapsed because the explosion of 26,000 pounds of jet fuel, 13 tons of jet fuel, um, caused a lot more infrastructure damage and caused the, the buildings to collapse. But anyway, um, so the building tipped, and when it came back to a vertical position, um, Roselle came out from under my desk, and I took her leash, and I told her to heal, which meant to come around on my left side and sit, which she did. So no one on my side of the building knew what had happened. We knew something had happened, but we didn't know what. Um, we figured out an airplane hit the building because we started smelling the fumes from burning jet fuel. And so we assumed an airplane hit the building, but we had no details. So we, um, so Roselle came and sat on my left side. And then about that time, the building dropped straight down about six feet. Remember, I described the building as a big spring. What was happening is that the expansion joints in the building, because it, buildings like that are made to flex in windstorms. Otherwise, they'd break off with the first heavy wind. And after that, my colleague David looked out the window and started shouting, oh, my God, there's fire and smoke above us. We got to get out of here right now. There are millions of pieces of burning paper falling outside the window. But Roselle was sitting next to me, not reacting at all. Now, I knew what Roselle was like when she was afraid because she feared thunderstorms. Um, another story, but she did. And so she wasn't giving any indication of fear, which told me that whatever was occurring wasn't such an imminent threat to us that we couldn't try to evacuate in an orderly way. I had to work to get people to focus. So... The bottom line is that David got our guests to stairs and started them down, and they all did make it out ahead of us. Then David came back, we swept the offices, and we went to the stairs, and we started down. So let's go back to guide dog and person and relationship. It's a team. And so when we started going to the stairs and we started down, we did that because Roselle was looking to to me for direction, and I gave her directions. We got to the stairs. And then I told her to go forward and we started down. And um, it was my job to stay calm. And this is one of the ways that the relationship is, is a great one because walking down the stairs, almost immediately we began smelling that odor of jet fuel, but we had no idea where it was coming from. But I knew that I had to stay calm for Roselle. If I started becoming fearful, then Roselle is going to be fearful because she's going to sense the the fact that I'm scared and she's not going to know what to do. So I had to be calm for her as much as her doing her job and doing the things that I expect told me that she was okay. Um, and so we had the advantage going down the stairs over a lot of people that it was a team working together, knowing what each other expected and needed to be doing and getting those results told us that we were both okay together. And that's what happened going all the way down the stairs. So I kept telling her, what a good dog. Keep going. Good girl. Good Roselle. Good job. And doing that all the way down the stairs. And uh, what also happened because of that is that a lot of people followed us down the stairs 
And they told me later, well, you looked calm going down the stairs, so we're going to follow you. If you can go down the stairs and be calm, then so can we. And then they did. So the plane hit about 8.45, 8.46 in the morning. And we got to the very bottom at about 9.35 in the morning, um, went into the lobby of One World Trade Center. We couldn't go outside there because they wouldn't let us go out the doors to the outside. People were jumping above us and, and other things like that. So they wanted us to go to exits as far away from the com from the towers as we could be, which meant going through the whole complex on the first floor, which was a shopping mall, uh, which we did. And finally up an escalator by Borders Books at the far side of the World Trade Center and then outside. Then, of course, immediately we were told to leave the area. So by the time we got outside, it was 945. So basically from the time the plane hit until we got outside was an hour. And, um, and then when we finally got outside, David saw fire in Tower 2. We had no idea that that there had been um, another airplane crash into the other tower. So we just kept going and doing the things that we could do. When we got outside, we walked over to Broadway uh, Street and then went north on Broadway on the left side of the street, which is the west side um, of Broadway, past several streets, and then finally stopped at Vesey Street, <clears throat> where David wanted to take some pictures of Tower 2 because he could see fire high up in the towers. And I wanted to try to call my wife. I couldn't get through. The circuits were busy. So I had just put my phone away, and David was putting his camera away when Tower 2 started to collapse. The sound, as I describe it, is kind of a combination of a freight train and a waterfall. You could hear glass breaking in, metal tearing apart, and then this white noise sound of the building just collapsing. And everyone turned and ran. David ran. He was gone. Um, Roselle and I turned 180 degrees. I just literally lifted her by the harness and turned her 180 degrees and started running back the way we came. So that was probably the most fearful time for me. We ran to the next street, which was uh, Fulton Street, turned right on Fulton Street, and actually caught up to David because it turns out that's the way David had run. And eventually he realized that he had left me behind and was going to come back, but we caught up to him first. And then we kept running and we were in the dust cloud, all the debris of particles and, and fine dust of Tower 2. And we knew we had to get out of that, so we started looking for an opening on the right-hand side, which was where, on, the, on our right, which was where the building was, and knew we had to get out of it. We were suffocating in that, so I kept telling Roselle, go right, right, and used hand signals. And I don't know whether she could see my hand signals or hear me or not over all the loud noises, but apparently she could because we got to what I heard was an opening on my right, and Roselle turned into the opening, took one step, and stopped and wouldn't move. And I kept saying, come on, Roselle, keep going. She wouldn't move. And so I investigated and realized we were at the top of a flight of stairs. She did her job perfectly. So I told her she had been a good girl and told her to go forward, which is the right command, and she walked down the stairs. And then later, we came back up, <clears throat> um, and continued west on Fulton Street and had gone a little distance when we heard that freight train waterfall sound again and we knew it was Tower 1 collapsing. And it was only after Tower 1 had collapsed, our tower, that I was able to reach my wife, Karen, and she is the one who told us how both towers had been struck by aircraft. One hit the Pentagon and a fourth was still missing over Pennsylvania. 
That's the first time we knew what really happened. We had talked about taking, um, <clears throat> walking across one of the bridges to go to New Jersey or to go to a different place and decided we didn't want to do that. David and I decided we didn't want to do that because we didn't know whether somebody might attack or blow up a bridge, you know, and we didn't want to be on it. What I didn't realize at the time was that all the preparations that I had done had developed a mindset in me that said that you can control the fear that you might have. And so you use it as a powerful motivator, as, as a tool to be more vigilant and more alert. So fearful, yes. Overwhelmed by fear, no. Cautious, yes. Nevertheless, still needing to, to make decisions and move on. What we actually did was then started walking up toward Midtown Manhattan and leaving the area, which is everyone was instructed to do. I'm curious if Roselle maintained that same demeanor or if she, she did. became very fearful as well. No, um, because nothing threatened her. In fact, I talked to people at Guide Dogs for the Blind later about that. Uh, nothing really threatened her. Nothing came right at her. So dogs don't do what ifs. And so there was nothing for her to become afraid of. Um, and, you know, for that one brief time running away from Tower 2, that was the most fearful time for me. But again, <clears throat> as soon as we got to the stairwell and started down, and I praised her and told her she was doing a good job, things settled down again. And again, I had to make sure that I was focused and giving her good solid commands and giving her good instructions. So <clears throat> no, she did not become fearful um, because she had my support and I had her support. It's, a, it's an interdependent synergistic kind of relationship. Running from Tower 2's collapse, if I had been using a cane, it would have been more out in front of me and it might have tripped people or the cane might have become broken because nobody was going to be watching for a cane. When we got home that night, I took Roselle's harness off. I was going to take her out and she would have none of it. She ran away and grabbed her favorite tug toy and started playing tug of war with Linny. It was over for her. Dogs, as I said, don't do what if. It was over. She wanted to play. Was, had enough work that day. That morning of the, the 12th of September, I called Guide Dogs for the Blind, who put out a brief story about us, and the media got a hold of it. We became extremely viral in the media. And then people wanted to have interviews, and I chose to accept doing interviews because if it would help people learn lessons and move on from September 11th, um, would help people learn more about blindness and guide dogs, it was worth doing. I'm just struck by how even keeled you are when you're talking about 9-11, having been there. What a powerful, intense, horrible, tragic, emotional day. And yet you seem, maybe it's because they're 22 years of distance from it, but you seem so even keeled when talking about it. And how is that possible, Michael? <laughs> so the answer to that really is what most, most people don't learn in the world is how to deal with unexpected situations. What we don't learn is that there are a lot of things that, and, and it's a matter of accepting it, but there are a lot of things that we don't have control over. What we really need to do is to learn how to deal with what we have control over and not worry about the rest of it. Yeah, September happened. Uh, September 11th happened. It was, a, it was a horrible thing, and no question it was horrible. Um, I didn't have to see it 
with eyes to see it. And that, so my point, however, is, look, I had a really great imagination going down the stairs that was probably a whole lot worse than what was going on outside, not knowing what was happening. Uh, and I and I use my imagination a lot. But the bottom line is that I learned, especially on that day, that there are a lot of things that we don't have control over. And there's no sense worrying about them. There's no sense stressing about them. It's not being unemotional, but it's accepting only worry about the things that I have control over. So I didn't have control over September 11th happening. I do have control over how I deal with September 11th. We have control over how we deal with fear. We have control over how we can deal with fear, but we have to learn to do that. And that's a, that is something that most of us don't learn to do. How did Roselle tell you that she loved you? She always wanted to interact. She always wanted to be where I was, if at all possible. And if she had, if she could ever do it, she'd sneak up on the bed and lay next to us. When she was off work, what did she like to do for fun? Steal socks and hide them or steal slippers and hide them. She wouldn't <laughs> shoot them up. She just hit them. It was the game. And we did had to find, find them. them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It wasn't a matter of hiding them so we couldn't find them. It was a matter of play. Um, she was a pixie in every sense of the word. She loved to play tug of war, and um, she did a lot of that as well. And she always wanted to get me involved in the game. Did you let her give you kisses? Oh, sure. She she did some of that. If Roselle could understand human English, what would you like to say to her? She is a very special dog. I love her and loved her and... Um, Look forward to seeing her in the future. <laughs>